Uh, we are again in Revelation chapter 1 tonight. Uh, God willing, uh, we'll start the seven letters to the seven churches in the new year. Uh, it'll be Christmas uh, next uh, week and Howell is preaching uh, next Sunday evening. Uh, so let's finish off looking at uh, this first part of chapter 1, verses 4 uh, to 7, uh, where we have not just the seven letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, but the whole book of Revelation is written in the form of an epistle, a letter. So we've already looked, haven't we? Uh, uh, in uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 4, at uh, the recipients... Uh, they are not just the seven churches, but the church in all the ages, including us here at the Heath, or the church that you are belonging to. And then what we've been doing these last few Sunday evenings is looking at the author. Firstly, it's John, but then it is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, using the apostle, and especially the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and John has gone off on a tangent just worshipping the redemption of Christ, what Christ has done for us in his life and death. And then he didn't stop at that. Last time we looked at John looking forward to the coming again of Jesus Christ. So let's just read that paragraph. And then there's one more thing we need to consider, and that's this evening. Before, God willing, we will look then at chapters 2 and 3 in the new year. John, verse 4, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the rulers over the kings of the earth. And here's the tangent, and to him who has loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But he doesn't stop there. The second coming. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Two things this evening. John desires two things for the seven churches in Asia. Do you know what they are? Verse 4. Grace to you and peace. And it's not just the seven churches in Asia 2,000 years ago, but it's the churches in Wales in 2020 that need two things, grace and peace flowing from the triune God. But it's not just God giving grace and peace. It is John here as a believer, as a pastor, yes, but as a Christian who desires, even longs, for grace and peace to be upon the church. 
Do we have that same longing? Uh, incidentally, the churches in Asia Minor, the seven churches, were facing dire persecution. We are not facing that. And yet John is saying, in effect, all you need is provided by God, and especially grace and peace. Now, it's not just John. If you've got your Bibles, the greatest letter in the New Testament is what? The epistle to the Romans, yeah? Uh, the great apostle Paul wrote it. How did uh, Paul uh, start off Romans? Uh, in verse 7, Paul's desire for the church in Rome is what? Romans 1, 7, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we could be here all night doing this. <laughs> what about the church at Corinth, which was alive, but it was full of division? Uh, what did the Apostle Paul, who also wrote that letter, desire uh, for the church at Corinth? Again, 1 Corinthians 1, 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Uh, what about the church in Galatia, one of the first letters, according to some, that Paul ever wrote? And they were uh, in danger of going astray from the gospel by adding to the grace of God. What is Paul's desire for the church in Galatia? Verse 3 again, Galatians 1, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, well, it's Paul's big thing, as well as John's. And then what about Peter? We've been looking at the Gospel of Mark, which is the Gospel of Peter, really, because Peter was the eyewitness. Uh, a few months ago, uh, well, maybe more than a few months ago, uh, we were looking at the first letter of Peter. Uh, how does 1 Peter 1 uh, begin? Uh, after the normal uh, uh, references uh, to the author, etc. What does Peter say? Grace and peace. But not just grace and peace. Grace and peace be multiplied. Isn't that interesting? He's not enough with grace and peace. It's got to be multiplication of grace and peace. So I don't want to keep you all night on this point. But grace and peace, the two things we all need. Uh, Martin Luther, brilliant quotation. These two words, grace and peace, comprehend in them whatever belongs to Christianity. Grace releases or relieves sin and peace makes the conscience quiet. The two fiends, the two monsters that torment us are sin and a bad conscience an accusing conscience. But Christ has vanquished these two monsters and trodden them underfoot, both in this world and in the world that's to come. So Heath Church, is it the two monsters of sin and a bad conscience that is with us? Or is it the two friends of grace and peace? Uh, if you want the words um, in the original, one Hebrew, one Greek, the Hebrew word for grace is charis, right? Charis. Don't people name uh, their children charis? So think of charis on the one hand, 
And then we all know the Hebrew word for peace, don't we? Not the Greek word now, but the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. Now, some people call their children shalom. So, have you got a charis and a shalom at your side? Have we got as a church a charis and a shalom? Uh, All I want to do this evening is look first at charis, grace, and then we'll look at shalom, peace, and may they be what we desire for ourselves. Uh, Grace to begin with. What grace? If I asked any of you here to define grace, I'm taking it that you would all give the answer, God's undeserving favour, unmerited favour. Salvation is of grace. What does that mean in practice, though? Well, surely it means this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice in the grace, it's not God the Father that's mentioned first, not the love of God the Father, but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why? All of our salvation, because it's undeserving, is in Christ. What grace means in practice is this. You can't add anything of yourself to Christ and what Christ has done. Otherwise, it wouldn't be of grace, would it? So take the famous passage uh, that brings grace in. Incidentally, you don't have that many definitions in the Bible of grace as a concept, it's grace in action, what it is. And uh, Ephesians 2 puts it like this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith accepts the grace of Jesus Christ. But Paul is trying to get the message across because we're all so slow to understand grace. And that's not of yourselves. That is, faith is not of yourselves. Even faith is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you see it? Grace means everything I stand in need of is in Jesus Christ. My faith doesn't add to what Christ has done. What's the basis of your standing before God this evening? Is it your faith? May it never be. It's Christ. Faith is the channel through which the benefits of Christ comes to me. What about repentance, you ask? What about repentance? Repentance is turning to Christ in faith. But repentance has no merit either. Repentance as well as faith is a gift from God. Can you see that? All in Christ. Um, There's a hymn, isn't there? We sometimes sing it in communion. True belief and true repentance are thy gifts, thou God of grace. That's why grace means we don't boast. We haven't got anything to glory in but Christ. Wonderful. Do you see it? Grace. But then I could go further. Grace isn't just unmerited favour. Who receives this grace? Uh, You could show unmerited favour to nice people. 
you know, we all give gifts to one another. Maybe you're giving a gift to somebody uh, who uh, doesn't deserve that gift. The gift is something amazing, and they don't deserve it. But God's gift of salvation to us goes beyond that, because this unmerited favor is shown to people who are actually enemies. Uh, We looked a few Sundays ago in the morning at the religious leaders uh, blindfolding Jesus and spitting upon his face. And you would never give a gift, would you, to somebody who was spitting upon you, to somebody who hated you. But that is the gift of God's grace. It's to people who are described as enemies, people who are going the other way. And yet such is the grace of Jesus Christ that it goes after them. Another famous passage. I think this is one of my favorite passages in the whole of the New Testament. Romans 5, verse 6. In due time, at exactly the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. And then Paul says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. That's somebody who is clinically correct. You wouldn't die for such a person. Perhaps... For a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us. Listen to this. Do you want to know the love of God? How do I know if he loves me? I feel so unclean, so unworthy. How do I know? Listen. God demonstrates his love, makes conspicuous his love. In that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. While we were still spitting at him, while we were still in the pit of sin, wallowing in the dirt, it was then that Christ died for us. When we're saved, we're not remaining there. No, we are rescued from that to serve Christ. But this is the point. Grace means Christ looked at us and we hadn't repented. We were still in the mire. We were still spitting at him. And that's grace, my friend. (laughs) How could he love me? An enemy. He has. That's how a Christian forgives then. Um, It is right for us as Christians, as citizens, to protest about the things that are happening in our society. Uh, We all have that right. But you know, there is even more powerful a statement than that. And that's when a Christian forgives somebody who's done something terrible to them. Uh, Was it a number of decades ago, during the Enniskillen bombing in Northern Ireland... Uh, where one uh, Christian gentleman forgave the terrorist uh, that killed a member of his family. And the power of that. How can a man forgive somebody who does something so bad? The grace of Jesus Christ gives the power. Because we were like that with God. Do you know Caris Grace? It's beautiful, you know? Grace is beautiful, isn't it? Uh, I've got so many hymns this morning, um, or even this evening. (laughs) 
But whenever you come across the word grace in the hymn book, the one we just sang, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Uh, there's another hymn, grace, tis a charming sound, harmonious to the ear. Heaven with the echo shall resound, and all the earth shall hear. What about Mr. Hyam's hymn? Hearken to his invitation, the gospel, <laughs> to the music of God's grace. Let the peace of God's salvation fill your soul and love embrace. My friends, isn't Christianity beautiful? It's not harsh. It's definitely not ugly. I find so many people today being put off religion because they equate religion with being polarized. They equate religion with hatred. And in a way, that's what you get with morality. But grace makes Christianity different. Isn't grace beautiful? Isn't true Christianity something attractive? I'm thinking of the miners in the 18th century outside Bristol in Kingswood. Rough, sinful men listening to George Whitfield preaching the grace of Jesus Christ. And it was having an effect on them because their blackened faces with coal had white streaks because they were weeping because they were hearing about somebody who really loved them in spite of who they were. Grace. May this pulpit be a pulpit where the grace of Jesus Christ is declared. Grace. Have you got Charis as your companion? Grace. Let's move on to the next one. Peace. Shalom. Peace. Uh, this shouldn't surprise us, should it? If grace has come into your heart, then doesn't that mean there is going to be peace now? Peace. Uh, we think, don't we, uh, of uh, the message of Christmas. Uh, the angels declaring to the shepherds, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. This word in the Hebrew, shalom, it doesn't just mean an absence of hostilities. That's what we normally mean by peace. And it does mean that, but it means so much more than that. Uh, it means some very positive things. It's a state of contentment. It's a state of blessedness. It's a state of wholeness. It's a state of health. Uh, if you think of grace as the spring, as the fountain, peace is the river then that flows from that fountain. And that river flows into the endless ocean of God's love. And one day, my friends, we will be swimming in that ocean of love in eternity. But peace results from grace. Uh, one hymn very famous when peace, like a river, attendeth my way. Not when everything is going well. It's when sorrows, like sea billows, like the waves, are rolling over me. Whatever my lot, whatever may be happening to me, however good or bad, thou hast taught me to say, this is shalom. It is well with my soul. Not just an absence of conflict, but inside it is well. It may be, uh, as it were, uh, war around me. Uh, metaphorically speaking now, things may be going terrible for me. Yet in my soul I'm able to say, it is well. 
That's shalom for you. That's peace. Now, how does this peace come about? You know, we sometimes foolishly think that peace means brushing things under the carpet, you know? Maybe the best illustration of this is the Second World War and the efforts uh, before the outbreak of war uh, of Neville Chamberlain uh, to uh, appease Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. And he really thought that he had got peace for our time, as he said. But he, he was just hoodwinked by Hitler. <laughs> it was really just brushing everything under the carpets. Sometimes if you're going to have lasting peace, it actually means you need conflict to achieve that peace. There could never have been a peace in Europe at the time with the Nazis in power. And my friend, it's the same in the spiritual realm. There's got to be peace between earth and heaven. There's got to be peace between us sinful people and a holy God if there's going to be shalom peace within. Isn't that the message of Christmas? Uh, Wesley in his famous carol, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled, brought together. How does that come about? Well, it's the gospel, isn't it? The gospel of grace. Uh, this is the message. God has reconciled us to himself, Paul writing to the Corinthians, through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What's the gospel? That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What's the gospel in the detail? Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Pastor, what's the gospel? In a nutshell, here's the gospel. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How can I have peace with God? I'm a sinner. God is holy. God must punish sin. It can't be brushed under the carpet. God can't just wink at my sin and let me into heaven, as it were. Sin must be punished. And God sent Jesus Christ, the God incarnate, into this world to hang on that cross. And there, the wrath of God for your sin and mine was unleashed on his only begotten son so that our sins could be dealt with, so that God could forgive you and me and we could be at peace with him. Peace with God. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Have you got it? Another hymn. I hear the words of love, Horatius Boner. You've heard the gospel. I gaze upon the blood. I look at the cross. I see the mighty sacrifice. And I have peace with God. And I can imagine Bona then jumping up and down. Even a Scotsman doing that. Peace with God. And what causes peace within then? Well, if I'm forgiven... If my conscience, to quote Luther, instead of condemning me, is now pacified, there is peace within, isn't there? I know now that it is well with my soul. And you know what? I find this amazing. Jesus promised his disciples 
to give something that the world cannot offer. Think of people in the world tonight. Think of people who are well off. Uh, maybe not that many. Uh, think of people who think they're enjoying themselves. Not that possible with lockdown. Are they really? There's no peace there. The more they fill their lives with, the more of a vacuum there is in their hearts. The world can't give you peace. But Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The peace of God which passes all understanding. You can't reason it. Maybe when you're really going through it, going through the mill. Maybe when people have turned their backs on you. Maybe when you think it can't get any worse. The peace of Christ comes upon you. And you know, it's all right. It's all right. Bonhoeffer, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Christian uh, who actually was put to death by the Nazis. He wrote a book about life together, uh, about our relationship as Christians. And I think he put his finger on it when he said this. You know, the, there's often turmoil within, a lack of peace, because we just haven't seen the grace of God, that first point, charis. We just haven't seen the beauty of grace. And this is how Bonhoeffer put it. And he's writing to Christians now, right? So he's addressing you and me as believers. You are a sinner. A great, desperate sinner. Now come, as the sinner that you are, to God who loves you. God has come to save the sinner. Be glad. The message is liberation, being set free through truth. You can hide nothing from God. The mask you wear before men will do you no good before God. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and your brothers in Christ as if you were without sin. This is Bonhoeffer now. You can dare to be a sinner. This is me. You can dare to be a saved sinner. Yes, through the grace of Jesus Christ. We have been saved. I once was lost, but now I'm found. But my friend, dare to be a sinner, a saved sinner. We're not saved into some perfect goody, goody people. We're saved sinners. And our song will be amazing grace till we get to glory. And you know what? When we get to glory and we'll have a perfect soul and a perfect body and we'll be in a perfect place, then I think the song will still be worthy is the lamb that was slain. Didn't we sing? Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. How? Stayed. Look steadfast upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed. Finding as he promised. Perfect peace and rest. 
the prophet Isaiah said, you shall keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Peace with God, peace within. And then to end, peace with one another. Peace with one another. My, don't we need this at the moment? Uh, the tendency in the evangelical churches in our land at this moment is lack of peace. Uh, it's unbelievable uh, some of the things that are happening uh, in churches in different parts of the country. And John here is just a model of a peacemaker. Uh, you know, I mentioned a few Sundays ago, John, who had the nickname given to him by Jesus as the son of thunder, that's what he was like by temperament. He always had to be first. He would lose his temper. He would pray God to send fire down from heaven upon people uh, who didn't believe the gospel. Look at what the grace of Jesus Christ has done to this son of thunder. It has transformed him into not just the apostle of love, who wrote, God is love, but it has transformed him into a man of peace. Don't we need peacemakers in our churches today? Uh, when I was in Kairgurle, uh, we were so blessed by two retired ministers, uh, the Reverend William Roberts, who's gone to be with the Lord, a godly, humble man, and Neil Richards, another godly man. And Neil Richards was a peacemaker is a peacemaker. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Have you read Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on the Sermon on the Mount? Read him on the Sermon on the Mount. The verse on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Do you know what the word blessed means in the original? It's Markarios, happy, happy, are the peacemakers. Do you want to be happy as a Christian? Then, oh, may the peace of Jesus Christ so dwell in your heart. May this river of God's perfect peace flow into your heart that you're overflowing then with it. And you can't but help be a peacemaker. This is how Dr. Martin puts it there. God forbid, I'm not going to do the accents, God forbid that anybody should attend these meetings with a kind of academic interest only and say, I am interested in the definition of grace and peace. It is not the definition you need, my friend. It is the experience of it. It is a good thing to be a student of the word, but only in order to be a practicer and an experiencer of the word. Grace and peace be unto you. Have they come to you? That's what he's asking. Have these two companions come to you? Charis, shalom. That's what makes the difference. Uh, we included um, in our current church magazine an article from the Banner of Truth magazine a few months ago uh, by a man who was the pastor of the Grace and Truth congregation in Israel uh, before David Zadok. And his name is Baruch Maus. And I think, uh, I think Hebrew isn't my strongest subject, but I think the word Baruch in Hebrew means blessed, I think. 
Do you want to be a blessing to those around you? This is how he puts it. We declare in practice a meritorious basis for belonging to a community that declares a non-meritorious message. Well, well, you say. That sounds like double Dutch to me. What does it mean? We preach a gospel of grace, non-merits. But sometimes in our practice, we deny grace by thinking we've got to win our approval. That's what he says. How, he goes on to ask, you can read this in our magazine, by the fact that we are factuous, we divide, overly critical, quick to disagree, and quick to divide over our disagreements, by making unsurmountable doctrinal mountains out of molehills, on which there is scriptural room for different opinions. Isn't that great? In the essentials, the gospel, we are one. There's no difference. But there are all sorts of areas where you've got good, godly Christian people on both sides. And a peacemaker, like John, realizes that. And then uh, Baruch goes on to say, It is possible to be orthodox, to be sound in doctrine, but completely heretical in terms of conduct to affirm the doctrines of grace in our speech while denying them in practice. Our lives often speak so loudly that people cannot hear what we are saying. When will we learn from the gospel to dare to leave our comfort zones and reach out with a grace that is not a mask of self-affirming righteousness? When will we love sincerely those with whom or from whom we differ when will we seek to live, worship, and serve alongside them? When will we learn to confirm by our conduct what we affirm with our lips? When will we refuse to break bruised reeds and extinguish dimly burned wicks, to cease ignoring the needy among us and to accept one another, however different we may be, generously, rather than in the hope of winning them over to our side. Don't we all need shalom to be with us and charis to be with us? Uh, th there was um, a minister in North Wales. Uh, he used to say this to people. If people came with a request to change something in the church, just as an example, do you know what he would say? He would say, I'm not going to give you an answer. <laughs> but he would say, show me by your godliness. Show me by your godliness. Isn't that good? Can we show by our graciousness and peacefulness, which is part of the fruits of the spirits, rather than try and do it in another way? Well, John's desire for the churches he was writing to. He was pastor of the church in Ephesus, remember. He was also writing to the other churches in Asia Minor. His desire was that grace and peace, charis and shalom, would be at their side, would flow to them and flow from them.
I'm finishing here, but the sermon hasn't ended. Do you know why? The biggest part of the sermon tonight is going to continue. We're going to go home. I don't know what kind of home you're in, but are you going to take Caris and Shalom with you? Are you going to be gracious and peaceable? And then on Monday morning, some of you will go to university. Some of you will go to school. Some of you, no, you won't be going to school, maybe. Uh, some of you might be going into work, and it might not be an easy environment. But if you take Caris and Shalom with you, then that can make the difference. We've got a deacons meeting, church council, on Tuesday night. Are we going to take Caris and Shalom with us to that meeting? Uh, we're going to have a Bible study and a prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. It'll be a trainee who is giving the Bible study. Are we going to have grace and peace, charis and shalom with us? Oh, my friends, may these two beautiful graces be our constant companion. May they be our desire for us as a church as we come to the end of 2020, and as we begin a new year. Oh, don't you love Christianity? That it's something beautiful, something Christ-like. May that be more and more true of us and of the churches in our country, for his namesake.